So as you may have already noticed, Rabbi and Rabbi Zine are not present with us today. But they're keeping Shabbat, so it's good, and all is well. So in their place, though, they left another Ner Tamid. And this guy needs no introduction, so I'm giving him one. This is a distinguished gentleman of our shul. This is the heavy, this is the light, this is the grace, and this is the right. Would you please give a warm welcome to Zake and Yochanan. Get you some. Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, Baruch Hashem, hello. All right, I'm there. You know, it's hard. You can't really hear yourself up here. Oh, really? Um, is this yours? What time we got? All right. Bishradashim. We got three hours or so. As I went over it last night, I was like, oh, boy. Not good. So Bishradashim, we'll get through it. We will see. Um, you know, I noticed we don't have any visitors, so that's good because... <laughs> it's good today. It's good today. No, I don't want to sound wrong. It's good today. If there's any visitors online, maybe, but, uh, you know, just a, in the beginning, a few of you might have a few toes that might be stepped on. So that's why I say, you know, Baruch Hashem. Because we're with family, right? We're Mishpacha. And so, um, since I have so much, I'm just going to go right into it. So even though this Torah portion has so much between the menorah, the eyes of the menorah, the, the seven eyes, oh, the inverted noons, all these things. Can, can I hear that back there? Okay, Brookshim. All right. So even though there's, there's so much in here, we're going to spend a few minutes in, in Bami Bar, but then we're going we're gonna to go somewhere else, Brookshim. All right. So Bami Bar 12.1 Miriam and Aharon spoke against Moshe, it says. Rebbe Yehuda Lozeel writes, the Midrash Yakut Shimoni cites the verse, Mishle, Proverbs 10, 19, and in abundance of words, silence will not be lacking. And applies this verse to Miriam. She's speaking against Moshe. And it continues, but one who strains his lips is wise. The Midrash comments, because he who strains his lips from speaking against Others, he is wise. Rebbe Shimon ben Gamiel said, My entire life I grew up among wise men, and I never found anything as good for a person as silence. So the Midrash relates. Two courtiers or messengers or lackeys of, of, an, of an emperor were standing before the Roman emperor. One claimed that speech was preferable to silence. And the other claimed that silence was preferable to speech. So the one who claimed that speech was preferable presented his arguments first. And he says, without speech, kings would not be crowned. People would not be buried. Brides would not be praised for their beauty. And business transactions would not be conducted. So the second courtier gets up starts giving his presentation of why silence is better. And the first one just slaps him upside the head. And the emperor says, why'd you do that? And he says, I presented my facts in the way that I said was preferable, so should he provide his facts in the way he says preferable? Uh So, King Shlomo says, the Midrash continues, King, King Shlomo said, I never said that one should muzzle his mouth. Only that one should restrain his mouth from speaking ill of others. Okay. So Baruch Hashem, right? So we can use that, right? Especially as we go into Bami Bar Numbers 11 and we start speaking about this uh, complaining. Mm-hmm. Complaining that the Israelites were doing, that we do. Do we not? We complain. So scrunch those toes up. 11.1 says that people were mur- murmuring in the ears of Adonai about hardship. And when Adonai heard, his anger burned. This seems a bit odd, doesn't it? I mean, here these people just were redeemed from slavery. And they're complaining against the one who redeemed them from slavery. It's just incomprehensible, right? 
I mean, think about everything these people saw. They saw all the plagues that happened. Every single one of them. They saw the splice, the, splice, the Red Sea split, right? They saw it split. They saw Mitzrayim, the waters just cave in on top of them. Okay, I was just checking out. All right. <laughs> um, they saw so much, and then they saw the revelation of Torah on Mount Sinai. They saw so much. And now they complain. But some commentators say it's going to be expected. Right here, the Israelites were under slavery for a couple hundred years. A couple hundred years they're in slavery. It's not to be expected for them to be able to, to just all of a sudden free themselves of this nature so quickly. And, you know, a year or so we're talking about here. So not so quickly. In fact, we know it took them 40 years to overcome this, correct? The unfortunate thing is many times, as our complaining does, it leads to other things. Am I doing something to cause that? Okay. Uh, there's, you know, our, our complaining leads to other things, not good things. Should I use the other mic or are we good? All right. All right. So same here in, it, in, in, in the wilderness, in the Bami Bar. The Israelites, their grumbling led to something else. and led to cravings. They wanted meat, right? They were sick of this food. The Hashem was miraculously raining down from the heaven. They were sick of it. They didn't want any more of it. Could you imagine? Here you have food just being rained down. Before, well... Let me get to that. Let me get to that. Balmy Bar 11.5. Now, even in the dark days of slavery in Egypt are looking good. And they said, remember the fish that we ate in Mitzrayim, Egypt, free of charge? The cucumbers, the watermelons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic? <laughs> it's funny. I mean, if you think about this, remember the fish we used to eat in Mitzrayim for free? Was that food for free? I mean, think about it. I mean, they worked back-breaking slavery, labor, building bricks, creating bricks, putting them on, building pyramid, building whatever else they're building. It wasn't for free. In fact, the food was only so they would do that. That was the only reason for it. And yet Hashem is giving them food just for, just for being his people. You know, what's really also amazing about this verse is it's almost like they forgot. They forgot about all that. You know, when we're going through something, it seems like it, t- it just drags on. It's going on forever and ever, right? Have you ever been in a job that just comes like, come on, can this day go by? Or maybe it's the whole job itself. Or maybe you're just going through something. It's like, think. Time after time, minute after minute, something else is happening. You're just like, I want this day to be over. Yet it drags on and keeps on and on. And while you're going through it, you're like, man, is this day ever going to finish? But once you pass it, once you get through it, and it might be a few days later, a week, a month, a year, two years, three years, however long, all of a sudden you look at it and it's like, you don't even remember how bad that day was, right? It was just kind of like, ah, it was a bad day. That's what they're remembering. They're not remembering their back-breaking slavery anymore. They're remembering their free food. (laughs) That really wasn't free. We in our lives do this very same thing. We may be going through something. Maybe, like I said, maybe it's a bad job. But after a little time and things kind of digress a little bit and you reflect back, you remember some of the good things. You remember some of the people that you worked with, right? You start remembering the good things. And isn't it so important, so important that when we tell people when they're angry, what do you tell someone who's really angry at somebody? You don't send off an email. You don't just go and speak to them right away. Why? What, what do you do? You wait. Why? Take, take a deep breath, right? 
Maybe wait a day. Maybe wait a week or two weeks. <laughs> Depends on how big the issue is, right? You wait. Why? Because your emotions won't be so involved in it, right? Your emotions won't be so involved, and you can then, if you need to still approach the issue, you can approach it with a calmness. Be objective rather than emotional, right? You may even see it differently. Israel Hashem, who knows? They see savory differently now. <laughs> it's amazing what cray or grumbling, complaining, what it can lead you to. You know, the other thing is, if we forget about all the bad things and, and, and they're remembering only the good. And I think about that. Here they are only remembering the good of what was bad. And they're not seeing the good of what is good. They're seeing the bad of what is good. That's an issue. We, see, we do that often, right? We totally miss the blessings that are going on in our life. All the blessings that are going on in our life, we totally miss them. Because we're so focused on what we think we need to have or what we deserve that we miss all the blessings in our life. Hey, I'm, I'm there included. My toes are scrunched inside my shoes. I don't know about you guys right now. It kind of hurts to walk around like that, but you know. So Moshe, Moshe, he hears the complaint. He turns to God. Who promises the beef? He promises them the meat, right? Moshe's response is one that you would not expect. He says in verses 11, 21, and 22, 600,000 people on foot are, on the, are the people who missed I am. And you say, I will give them beef, and they will eat it for a full month. If sheep and cattle were slaughtered for them, would it suffice for them? If all the fish of the sea were gathered for them, would it suffice for them? kind of seems mind-boggling that Moshe, who's experienced everything that he's experienced, would be saying this about Hashem. And it's Hashem's reply in the next verse kind of seems to be that's what Moshe's saying. For Hashem says, actually, this is how it seems from God's answer to Moshe. Is my power limited? Now you see my work, if my word comes true for you or not. Shirashi quotes a dispute about how to understand Moshe's words. One of the explanation quotes Rabbi Gamiel. He said, Moshe said, it is impossible to settle the people's complaint since they are only looking for pretext. Okay. You cannot satisfy them. And in the end, they will find fault in you. If you give them meat, they will say we asked for mutton. If you give them mutton, they will say we asked for fish. If you give them fish, they'll say they asked for venison. So meaning, Moshe recognized really what was behind the, the complaints. It was not a lack of meat, but it was a complaining character. It was the complaining character, right? The kind of character that can never be satisfied. Never be satisfied. We're always, right? We're always wanting. Wanting more, 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 whatever it may be. We're never satisfied. We just want to complain. It's our nature. Again, we don't see the blessings that we do have. Instead, we we're so focused on what we don't have. It's a sad reality in today's world. It's a sad reality. So if Moshe claimed, if this, if this is so what Moshe claimed, there's no point in giving them meat. There's no choice. Since they'll just complain about wanting something else, and they'll complain again, and they'll complain again, and complain again. So what's to be done? I mean, why give them the meat? Right? It doesn't come out their nostrils. Oh. I mean, you think about when something starts to come out your nostrils, I think of regurgitation, and we're not cows, so it's not a good thing, right? And so you think about that, that sensation of that, and that's how when I think of them eating this meat, how it's going to be coming through their nostrils, and I just, yeah, it's about nasty. All right, it's like, you know, you never want to eat meat again, <laughs> you know? <laughs> All right, so what is to be done? What's to be done? Change their character, right? Let's just change everybody. That's not how God acts, though, is it? He gives us a choice. Hashem gives us all a choice of how to react. So what was Hashem's answer? Improve the spiritual conditions around the people. That was Hashem's answer. He told Moshe, gather the 70 elders, gather them around, and he's going to give them 
a light. So give them the Ruach. A little bit of the Ruach. Not quite Moshe, but a little bit of the Ruach. Right? And that's the solution. To help people with their stubbornness, their, their, their complaining characters. You know, this is like, there's a famous saying, a little bit of light banishes a lot of darkness. Just a little bit. Have you ever noticed in a completely dark room how much a little candle can brighten up a room and how much light it gives off? Well, guess what? That's you. We're each to be lights. We're all to be lights. As we go about this darkness, this world that we're in, we're all to be little lights. We must allow this flame in our hearts to burn. Listen, Hashem didn't banish the darkness. We're still living in it. We're still living in the darkness of the present age today. He didn't change that. Instead, he lit a flame in their hearts. It gives us strength. It gives us the ability to move forward and change. We must allow the flame to rise up. Behalatecha. Listen, that's actually what that word means. Behalatecha. The root of that word is Allah, where we get Aliyah from. It means to rise up. So when he lit this light, this Behalatecha inside of them, it rises up. You know, this fire always goes up. It always goes up. And so we are to rise up. Hashem's always trying to reach down, and we should be trying to reach up. Yes. It's like the star of David, the two triangles coming together. Yes. Okay? Yeah. It's like the two triangles coming together. We'll get back to more to that in a minute. We'll move on to Miriam and her complaining real quick. Yeah, uh-oh. That's not good. It's never good when we complain. The assumptions of the rabbis is that Miriam is guilty of gossip, right? Those of you who read the Torah portion, you know what I'm talking about, right? She speaks ill of Moshe in public. It's as if she said this about Moshe's wife. Do you see that dress she's wearing? Can you believe she wore that to shul? Can you believe he married a Kushite? It's a hard reality, right? Can you believe that? Have you said those things yourself? Have you looked at somebody and like, I can't believe you're wearing that? <sighs> you know, the rabbis draw a connection between gossip and leprosy. Gossip is moral leprosy. Moral leprosy. Listen. Leprosy disfigures a person, right? Yes. Gossip disfigures a character. Yes. And listen, it, it, it disfigures not only the person gossiping. It, it disfigures the person listening. Okay. And it disfigures the person who you're talking about, even if they don't hear you. There's a spiritualness that you're not getting when you gossip, but you don't understand when you gossip and what happens. Listen, gossip comes, or the Shan Hurrah comes in all forms. All forms, right? The evil tongue should be avoided at all costs. Passive aggressiveness. That's another one. That's, yeah, that's, that's not a pretty thing, right? Listen, even if something is true, doesn't mean you go and say something. Okay? Even if something's true. The Shan Hurrah can forever damage a person. Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones is full of it. Right? <laughs> They're full of it. Words hurt. We know words can hurt. Listen, it's, you can never take it back. Listen, you can hit me all you want. I'm a man. I can take it. I'm teasing. That's, that's, a, that's something else. Uh, sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> some of y'all might know what I'm talking about. But, uh, <laughs> but nonetheless... The Shan Hurrah does far more damage. You can heal. You can heal from sticks and stones. But the Shan Hurrah, it's a silent assassin. How is it a silent assassin? Because it's spoken, right? The Shan Hurrah is spoken. 
So how can it be the silent assassin? Listen, you two people sitting here talking. It's just the two of them. Who else can hear? But all of a sudden, so those two people now have a disfigured look upon somebody else. Then they tell somebody else, and then they tell somebody else. And they may not even tell them. Maybe, you, maybe now I just act differently towards that person. People pick up on this, especially children. Especially children, they really pick up on this stuff when, when, you, when you're not seeing something, right? I mean, for instance, look at Hillel's tie. Look at the way it's tied. It's beautiful. Beautiful. It's a beautiful tie, bro. I like the way you got that knotted. You're not just saying that. Well, you know, Hillel, it's beautiful. I would like to learn it, you know. It's just beautiful tied the way you have it tied. But I can't learn the way he has that tied tied. Yeah, it's not. It's against Halakha. You can't tie a tie like that. It's against Halakha. All right? <laughs> listen. Listen, I went up to him t- just praising him about his tie. But my intention was something totally different. My intention was to tell him, man, you can't tie a tie that way. It's against our halakha. It's against halakha to tie a tie that way, man. So what kind of damage did I just do? Passive aggressiveness is it's not good. It's not good at all. It's a form of Lashon Haram. Because you know what? I'm not really coming to him with a loving kindness. I'm not coming to him for that. I'm coming there because I noticed this and I'm going to say something to you. Okay? Listen, if you, if you see something in somebody, did you ever find that? I don't have a text. Did you ever find that? Um, Listen, maybe it didn't come through there. Uh, here we go. Uh, maybe not. All right. So I think, I think it's the Baal Shem Tov who said this. The Baal Shem Tov, when you see a sin in somebody else, really, it's a reflection of your inner self. When you see somebody else's sin, it's a reflection. Somewhere deep down inside of you is that same sin. Listen, it may not be manifested in a physical manner. But spiritually, there's something inside of you that you, Hashem is showing you that so you can correct yourself. Not so that you can walk up to somebody else and go, hey, yeah, you need to change. Okay? Listen, sometimes, what's the best way to handle something? You see something like that and you think it needs to be addressed? Go see one of the bait Dean. Come see one of us. Okay? Listen, sometimes we're not going to go. We talked about this in my class last week, right? We're not going to always just go right up to somebody and correct this issue. Sometimes we may not say anything at all. Our job isn't to go hammer every single body. We, I mean, it's not, it's not only because we want you to come back. Okay, we do. But listen, everybody's working through different things. And there's a time for everything. If something becomes an issue that it's affecting other people, that's when you say something to somebody else. Okay? That's when you say something to somebody else. You don't just automatically go and just hammer somebody every single time you see something. And if you're seeing something that often, you have issues that you need to go correct. Okay? It's harsh. I know. It's harsh. It's harsh. All right. So let, let me go on. <laughs> Y'all come back. Um, so, wait, where was I? Mm. <clears throat> we'll right past that. Go ahead. Okay, okay, there we go. Way up there. Where we go? All right. So, oftentimes we, we totally forget about the embarrassment. We totally forget about the embarrassment that that other person may feel. Sometimes we forget about our own, we just feel so self-righteous that we got to go say something to somebody. That's a hard thing to overcome. It's a hard thing. But we need to as a mishpacha. Because, you know, when you go up and you speak gossip or you speak Lashon Ra in some form or fashion, albeit maybe even 
You do it in a passive-aggressive way. You may think, oh, I just helped them out. But in reality, you just created a division wall between you and that person. They see the passive-aggressiveness. They see it. You created a wall. You created division in your mishpacha. So let's, let's remember that we're all living family. We're all in different spots. We're all growing together. We may be in different spots, but we're all growing up, right? Let's remember that, Baruch But enough about all that. Let's move on because I want Rabbi to have somebody to speak to next week. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Lighten it up a little bit, right? Woo! All right. Bami Bar 12, 6 through 8. This is a little house cleaning. No, you can stretch your toes back out. You know, they're bound up, you know. I don't know how those, you know, back, you, you read about those Chinese women back in the day, they bound their feet and they're real small. I don't know how to do it up. All right. Bami Bar 12, 6 through 8. Hear now my words, he said. When there is a prophet of Adonai, I reveal myself in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moshe. In all my house, he is faithful. I speak with him face to face, plainly and not in riddles. He even looked at the form of Adonai. Remember that form is, Rabbi talked about a couple weeks ago, that form is the same word used for idol. In other words, there was a, there's some type of form or shape. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moshe? All right, so I'm going to relate this to Hebrews 1. Okay. So this is going to be a little Midrashic style. Okay, Midrashic means we're seeking out. And in Midrashic style, you take a word, you take a phrase, and you try and relate it to something else. Okay, and that's what the writer of Hebrews does. Okay, Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. At many times and in many ways, God spoke long ago to the fathers through the prophets. You already see it? I hope you see the connection. In these last days, he has spoken to us through a son whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created the universe. All right. So in the last days, in the last days, he had spoken to us through a son. In the last days. That was part of the message of the gospel. In the last days, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yes. That was the message, right? Right? They were living in the last days of the Second Temple era. They were living in the last days of Jerusalem, before the fall of it. They were living in the last days before Mag, Gog and Magog. They were living before the tribulation, before the revelation of the abomination. They were living in the last days. And guess what? We're living in the last days today, still today. 2,000 years later, we're still living in the last days. And we all hope that we all get to see the Mashiach come in. But we may not. It may be our children. They're still living in the last days. And our children's children. But that shouldn't stop us. Shouldn't stop us living for Hashem. The message of the kingdom of heaven is near, is the gospel, I said. This was the message of Yeshua, the Son. These first two verses of Hebrews... I read it just read. It's really the thesis of the, of the author, the writer of Hebrews. It's really just a thesis. He spends, for the majority part, the rest of this book explaining how the sun is higher than angels, how he's higher than Moshe, higher than Abraham, higher than all the patriarchs, higher than David, higher than all of them. And that's what he goes on doing. Higher than the... Uh, what am I thinking? Good. Okay, higher than all of those. Isaiah 52.13. So, Yeshiyahu 52.13. Now listen, this verse is the beginning. Is the beginning of the, of the suffering servant, right? The beginning of, you know, everybody goes to Isaiah, Yeshiyahu 53. But this is the beginning right here. And it says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. The anti-missionaries say this is all about Israel. But that's not what the sages say. Is that what the Midrash says? Now they say, you know, many things, they can be both, right? We'll read some verses about that today. 
But here's what the Midrash Tachuma Todot Saman 14 says. I will lift up mine eyes to the mountains. Scripture alludes here to the verse, Who art thou, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? Didn't we hear that today? We did. Thou shalt become a plain. This verse refers to the Messiah, the descendant of David. Remember, this is the Midrash Tachuma. Why was he called a great mountain? Because he will be greater than the patriarchs. As it said, Behold, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up, and he shall be very high. He shall be exalted above Avraham, lifted up above Yitzhak, and he shall be very high above Yaakov. He shall be exalted above Avraham, concerning whom it is said, I have lifted up my hand unto the Lord. Lifted up above Moshe, of whom it is said, thou, That thou shalt say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom. That's from this Torah portion. And it shall be a very high, like the ministering angels, concerning whom it is said, As for the wings, they were high. Hence scripture says, Who art thou, O great mountain? Wow. That's the Midrash Lachuma on Isaiah 52.13, which is all about the Mashiach. Wow. Amen? Amen. Amen? The Zohar continues. I'll read this. Zohar 181ab compares the Mashiach to the moon. God exalts his servant by giving him the keys to the resurrection. It says, Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. He will be high above the upper light of the luminaries. Relating to Isaiah 30. He waits on high to have compassion on you. So if the writer of Hebrews is correct, if his thesis, if he is able to prove his thesis, if he's able to do so, Right? Then we need to pay close, close, close attention to the Mashiach. We need to know exactly what he said, how he said it, lest we drift away. Lest we drift away, Hebrews 2 says. Listen, many people come through here, a good amount stays. Some leave after some time for whatever reason. They might leave the faith altogether. You know, different things and this and that. It doesn't happen all at once. So don't think it can happen to you. It never happens all at once. All it takes is this one day or that one day. All of a sudden, you start looking at something else, focused on something else. You have different interests. It's like a marriage, right? A marriage never ends in one day. You don't wake up and go, all right, I'm done. Let's, let's get divorced. No, that's not the way it works. It happens over time. Your interests are different, right? You may have met somebody else and they may have kindled your interest. <clears throat> it never happens in one day. It's a slow, slow drift. All right, I said I wasn't going to get on you. But all right. All right, so God becomes less and less important to him, right? In some cases. Other interests take a priority. Now, before we begin really getting into this, we need to make sure we understand that, that Yeshua is not God himself. Yeshua is not a deity. Okay? He is not a deity. He is a manifestation of God. Yeshua is divine, which means he proceeded directly from God. But he is not Hashem. Or is he? He's the son. We know that. We know he's the heir of all things. Psalm 2.8 says, You are my son. I have this day begotten you. Now this doesn't mean he birthed him. Okay. Hashem's a spirit. All right. Some like Rashi say this is about Israel. And he's correct. It is. Right. Hashem begotten Israel. Right. He delivered them. Some, like Mazudo, says this is about the Mashiach. And he's correct. How can they both be correct? Unless, unless it was intended. Unless it was intended for them both to be correct. Right? You know, in Judaism, when we see contradictions, you don't go, well, I'm going to believe this one over that one. You always seek a way to reconcile the two. We seek to reconcile the two. And so here in a little bit, we'll reconcile that maybe. All right. Tractate 52a also says this is about the Messiah. 
And to Helim, Psalms 21.5, which says, He asked of you life, you gave it to him, long life, forever and ever. Amen. He's talking about the Mashiach, giving him life forever, right? Or is he talking about the Torah? The Torah is forever and ever, right? So think about who inherits. He said that Yeshua is the son, right? Who inherits things? It's children. The children of the parents always inherit. Especially the firstborn son, because they get the double blessing, right? They get the double blessing. They get the birthright, blessings, and so forth. Avraham said to Hashem, listen, hey, all your promises, they don't matter. I don't have an heir. Obviously, yeah, that was that was joking on sad to, to it, you know. <laughs> Paraphrasing a little bit, but he said, listen, it doesn't benefit him for God to bless him because he has no heir. An heir is important. So God promised him a son. This is why the Mashiach is called God's son. Because God makes the Messiah heir of all things, we're told in Hebrew. All things will be subjected to him. They're not today, though. 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says, Now when all things become, when, when all things become subject to him... Then the Son himself will also become subject to the one who put all things under him, so that God may be all in all. Listen, that's the story of Yosef and Pharaoh, is it not? Why did he do this? Because all things were made through him. All things. That's what we just read in Hebrews 1, 2, right? All things were made through him. That's what Yochanan 1 says, John 1. All things were made through him. Through him, God created the world. God created all things through his spoken word. He said, let there be light. And it was there. He spoke the word. This word is Yeshua, the image of God. So how did he create the universe? Through the sun. Because is the sun different? Did Hashem create it or did the sun create it? Who created it? He created it through wisdom. I'm sorry, wrong line. In the Talmud, the sages debate about why God created the world. God created the world for the sake of Abraham, one says. Another one says, no, he created it for the sake of David. Another one says, no, for the sake of Moshe. Another one says, no, for the sake of the Mashiach. Okay. Now, in the Gospel of Thomas... He says that's for the sake of Yaakov, James. Okay? You, you should have brother. What do they mean by this? This isn't saying it's all created for them. It's a way of bestowing honor upon somebody. It's a way of bestowing honor upon somebody. So the sages teach that God created the universe. Created the universe through wisdom. Why? God created the earth through an agent. Sages teach it just as someone who wants to build a house hires a contractor. So you go out. Listen, if you ever built a house, you got to have the plans, right? So you get all the minute details of, of everything that you got to get ready. And then you go to a contractor. Unless you're going to build it yourself. But let's, let, we're in the real world where I'm not extremely that guy. All right. So I'm going to go hire a contractor and I'm going to build my house, right? And that's what Hashem did. That's what Hashem did with the, with the world, he used a contractor to build the heavens and the earth. Proverbs 3.19 says, The Lord, in, by, or with wisdom, you choose, founded the earth. Right? By wisdom, he found, Adonai found the earth. By understanding, he established his heavens. Wisdom is that contractor. Wisdom is a contractor. It says so. Uh, if we can go to 22. 8.22. Adonai brought me forth the first of his way before his works of old. Keep on. Next, go. From eternity I was appointed from the beginning before the world began. Keep on going through 25. When there was no depths, I was brought forth. There was no fountains abounding with water. Before the mountains were shaped, before the hills was brought forth, the word was there. It was all there. It was already existing before any of all this. That's, that's the point of this right here. All this, Hashem's word existed before anything else. Go to verse 30. I'm going to read through 36. Then I was the craftsman. Well, who's a craftsman? 
the contractor, right? Wisdom was the craftsman. Through wisdom, Hashem built all this. Beside him, I was daily his delight, always rejoicing before him, rejoicing in his whole world and delighting in mankind. So now, children, listen to me. This is the Torah speaking to you. Listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Heed discipline and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting at my doorposts. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from Adonai. But whoever fails to find me harms his life. All who hate me love death. Hashem brought me forth. Hashem brought me forth before all his works. Before all of his works. So at the beginning was wisdom. Breshit 1.1. In the beginning, Breshit. Was it in the beginning or was it by the beginning? Which was it? What was the beginning? Chochmah. Wisdom. Wisdom was the beginning. One Targum says this, From the beginning with wisdom the Lord created and perfected the earth. Targum Yonatan says, In wisdom the Lord created the heavens and the earth. This helps us understand Yochanan 1. Specifically 1.3, but we'll go through 1.1 first. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Verse 3. All things were made through him, through wisdom, and apart from him, nothing was made that has come into being. Now listen, it starts getting awfully easy to see wisdom as a separate being, but it's not. Okay, God's wisdom, it's like, not that I have a whole lot, but I have some wisdom, right? Whatever wisdom I have, it's part of me. It's who I am. This is God's wisdom. It's who he is, but not all of him. It's not the totality of Hashem, right? It's not the totality of Hashem, but it is him. Paul referred to Yeshua's wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1, 24. But to those who are called, both the Jewish and the Greek people, the Mashiach, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Okay? Yeshua is the wisdom of God. The Catholic Bible actually has the book of wisdom. The book of wisdom, supposed to be written by Solomon. We're not going to go read it, but I got seven things. Seven things. From Wisdom chapter 7. Worker of all things. Now listen to, listen to all seven of these things and see how it describes Yeshua, how it describes the Torah. Worker of all things passes through and permeates all things holding them together. She is the breath and power of God. She is the expression of the glory of the Almighty, brightness of the everlasting light. She is the image of God's goodness and she makes all things new. That's wisdom, 7, 23-27, in a nutshell. And this is exactly what Hebrews 1-3 is speaking about. The sun, this sun is the radiance of his glory and the imprint of his being, upholding all things by his powerful world. word. Radiance of his glory. Listen, this is the reflected splendor of Hashem. His, the reflected brightness of Hashem. The radiance of his glory. The imprint this word, this word, Rabbi was actually talking about this concept the other day. This word, is, it's, it's like an engraving. It's not just, you know, you're the image. It's an engraving. It's in him. It's in his heart. What Hashem's going to do in the new covenant when we finally enter the new covenant? We know we're not in the new covenant. Okay. All right. So once we enter the new covenant, Hashem's going to write it, engrave it into our hearts so that we'll never forget it. Amen. It'll always be a part of us, Right? What was said and understood long ago about wisdom, her relation to God, and her role in creation is true of the Messiah, of the Son. The divine wisdom is in him, and the Son is the expression of God. This is how Paul sees the same thing. Again, Paul, that Paul guy. You know, this is why people can understand him, because he's not writing in a Peshat level. 
First, uh, Col- excuse me, Colossians 1, 15 to 17, 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, the seen and the unseen, whether thrones or angelic powers or rulers or authorities, all were created through him and for him. Sounds like that. The Midrash I was reading. He exists before everything, and in him all, uh, and in him all holds together. It is through him. Listen, you can see all these phrases all throughout Paul's works. I mean, if you have the Bibles that have the, the uh, references, you can see, I mean, Paul is popping this, that little, that is compact. It's like he brings them all together right there. You can see that used all throughout his letters. <clears throat> he said that the image of the invisible God, that's the same thing as the imprint of Hashem. Listen, this was the tent of the first Adam. And I'm not talking about the physical Adam. Okay? There is a heavenly Adam and an earthly Adam. Yep. Some say that's why there's two creations. Create, you got creation when they're first speaking about Adam, it's the heavenly Adam. And then, when he's, and then the second one in chapter 3 is about the earthly Adam. Wow. Okay? So, God created man in his own image, right? The earthly Adam is the correspondence of the heavenly Adam. Who the mystics call Adom Kabmon, the internal or heavenly Adam. This is a big, big concept. Okay? This is from a nice little book. And it's, I found this book because of the book that Rabbi mentioned a few, few drushes ago. And it, it quotes Zohar 3, 128a and b, Adruth. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but Brukashem. Um, I really like how this book, it's, uh, the name of this book is The Mystical Shape of the Godhead. Okay, it's uh, very interesting. So it says, and I'm just going to read a portion of this, and all those who were inscribed in the curtain were given names, but they did not endure, for he left them and concealed them. After a time, however, he entered the curtain and gave himself shape. And we learn that when he made up his mind to create the Torah, which had been hidden for 2,000 years prior to the creation of the world, and he took it out, the Torah instantly spoke before him. And it says, he who wishes to shape, oh, Hashem. <laughs> he who wishes to shape and to have effect must first shape his own shape. Oh. That is, shape himself. I'm reading this. And then we have learned from the Sifra de Zaini Utha, the ancient of, the, of ancients, the concealed of the concealed, mystery of mysteries, took on a shape and it was given. He exists and yet does not exist. There is no one who can recognize him, for he is the ancient of ancients and the elders of elders. But in his shapes, he becomes recognizable without being recognizable. You know, Paul actually wrote something similar to that, too. 1 Corinthians 15, 44 through 49. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a living, life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man is of the earth, made of dust. The second man is from heaven. Like the one made of dust, so also are those made of dust. And like the heavenly, so also those who are heavenly. And just as we are born the image of the one made from dust, so also shall we bear the image of the one from heaven. That image is important. We'll be hitting on that. Sorry, Hashem. Wheat. All right. Isaiah 57.15. Yeshiyahu 57.15 says, He should be high and lifted up and exceedingly exalted. Amen. Again, the mystics say this is about Adam Komon, the eternal heaven, bearing the image of Hashem. Listen. Yeshua lived out the word, Right? If you, if you haven't been listening, listen right now, because this is, this is really important. Yeshua lived out the word, and so therefore he was the Mashiach. Now, yes, he was divine. He, he proceeded from a seed that we weren't from. But nonetheless, he still lived out the word, and therefore he was the Mashiach, Mashiach the anointed, right? Because he lived out the word. He brought down that divine wisdom which is exactly what we're called to do, is it not? 
We're called to live out that word, to bring it down. Again, remember Hashem with the triangle, the two triangles meeting together? Because listen, Hashem, it's all about, and it's a wonderful, wonderful book by the same author who wrote um, uh, the or- Delight, Orchard of the Delights. What is that? Truman. He wrote about the star of the Megan David. He says in there, Hashem was one, became two, in order to become one again. Just like a husband and wife, right? A man is one. He marries a, excuse me, he, he, excuse me, he's one and a wife is one. But the two, they get married to become one. Yes. They have a children who becomes one, who then gets married, becomes two, and it goes on and on. One becomes two to become one. Nice. It's all about us becoming one, one body, bringing down the divine wisdom. We can all be Mashiachs. In a sense, don't get me wrong. Don't, don't misquote that. We can all become Mashiachs. We can all become anointed. That's what that means, right? We can all become anointed with Yeshua if we don't drift away. If we don't drift away, it's important. Listen, this comes through in three phrases. Three phrases, three, three thoughts, three spheres. Thought, speech, and deed. Write them on your heart. Speak of them while you sit in your home and you walk on your way. Binding them as a sign upon your arm, and they shall be defiling between your eyes. This is actually doing the word. That's doing the word. Thought, speech, and deed. And all of our beings and everything that we're going through, we're to be living for Hashem. We are to be a walking word as Yeshua was. That's why today He's the Mashiach. We can bring, we can bring heaven down to us if you're willing to walk in thought, speech, and deed. Listen, we don't say the Shema every single day, twice a day for no reason at all. It's to be written inside our hearts, is it not? It's to be written inside. When we perform mitzvot, we make the word flesh. We make the word flesh. We become the word made flesh when we completely imitate him in every regard. Right? We're to be disciples. And disciples imitate the Messiah, imitate Hashem in every way. And then we'll be united with Hashem. All right. Baruch Hashem. All right. So this next part is another hour and a half, two hours. Um <laughs> Because I'm really going to, we're going to go through Hebrews because I haven't yet to get to show how Hebrews, how he built this thesis, right? We need to prove that Yeshua, the son, is higher than angels, is higher than the patriarchs, is higher than the, I don't know why I can't the Kohen Haggadol, Haggadol Kohen. All right. All right. So remember, Midrash means to seek out, right? So we're about to seek out. All right, so we're going to get through this. I'm going to try, I'm going to try not to go too fast, but i got 15 minutes, so Baruch Hashem. All right, so the first thing you have to remember before we get into it, though, is the Messiah is higher than all angels, and we're not talking necessarily in this world. We're not talking about this world because he was made a little lower in this world. We're talking about the Halam Haba. Hebrews is mainly about the Halam Haba, the next world. Okay, you have to remember that as we go through this. We're not talking this world. All right. <clears throat> Hebrews 1, 3 through 5. I'm going to read, start in the second half of verse 3. When he had made purification for our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Thus he became as far as above the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now, my first question is, what is the name that he inherited? What is the name? 
Okay? Psalm 2. Psalm 2 says, For to which of the angels... What are, why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples mutter vanity? The kings of earth set themselves up and rulers conspire to, together against Adonai and against his anointed one. Let's rip their chains apart and throw their ropes off us. He who sits in heaven laughs. Adonai mocks them. So he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury. I've set up my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. He's talking about the Mashiach. Okay, so right here, this is the Messiah talking. Okay, it changes. So first it was the narrator. Now this is the Mashiach. I will declare the decree of Adonai. He said to me, Adonai said to the Mashiach, you are my son. Today I've become your father. Ask me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the far reaches of the earth as your possession. You shall break the nations with an iron scepter. You shall dash them in pieces like a potter's jar. So now, O kings, be wise. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Serve Adonai with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he become angry and you perish along your way, since his wrath may flare up suddenly. Happy is everyone taking refuge in him. All right. Three things to remember from this. Okay? The son of God is a title and the anointed one. It is a title. He is not literally the son of God. Okay? The anointed one receives the nation as an inheritance. Remember, think heir of all things. And you have a throne that's implied. You have a throne and a scepter. Right? All right. <clears throat> we're going to move on to 2 Samuel. Nathan is saying to David in 2 Samuel 7. Remember, we're going to start piecing together things. So we're going to move. Says in 7:11b. Moreover, Adonai declares to you that Adonai will make a house for you when your days are done and you sleep with your fathers. I will raise up your seed, who will come forth from after you, and, and I will establish this kingdom. He will build a house for my name, and I will establish his royal throne forever. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. So you notice the father-son connection, right? We learn the son of God, per Second Samuel, the son of God is the seed of David. Now, literally, this is speaking about Solomon, right? But at the same time, it's speaking about the Messiah. He's going to have an eternal throne and kingdom. And Messiah will build a house for the name of God. Okay. All right. We're going to continue the connections. Hebrews 1.6. And again, when he brings the firstborn into this world, he says, Let all of the angels of God worship him. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've never seen somebody who's, who's above somebody else worship the other way around, right? It doesn't work that way, right? Because then who, those who are being worshipped might get a big head and think they're above that person, so it doesn't work. And this is a quote from Devarim, Deuteronomy 32:43. Don't turn there, though. You're not going to find it. Okay? It's also Tehillim 96.7, but don't turn there. You're not going to find it because these are from the Septuagint. They're textual variants, Okay? It's in the Septuagint, and it's also in the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay? So this is Devarim, Deuteronomy 32, 43. Rejoice, you heavens, with him, and let all the angels of God worship him. Rejoice, ye Gentiles, and with his people, and let all the sons of God strengthen themselves in him. The Mashiach gives us strength. And notice it's not just the blood Jews, it's all those who are joining him because the Gentiles are there too. So let's just do a quick summary of this. I got nine minutes. All right. So, all right, let me do a quick summary of what we've gone so far. Messiah is called God's son. The Messiah is called God's son and will build a house for Hashem's name. And there are sons of God that are strengthened by him and all the angels worship the Messiah. Right? This is pretty simple thus far, right? I mean, it's pretty evident that, listen, all these psalms that I've been going to, or I say all these psalms, I've only gone to one uh, thus far because so much more, unfortunately, I'm not going to get to Psalm 110, Psalm 45, Psalm 102, Psalm uh, 2 again. Um, we're not going to get to all those. But all of those are all messianic texts. Yes, we're told they're not, but they are. Okay, listen, in the big green book, I didn't bring it, but in the big green book, it's all about Tehillim, 
Okay, that book. So many of these, uh, so many of these passages from these psalms are all. They all say they're messianic. Okay, all right. The Talmud and so forth and all that. All right. So I'm gonna skip past a couple hours. All right, and we're gonna go to this other proof text here, Hebrews two five. For it is not to angels that God has subjected the Alam Haba about which we speak, but somewhere someone has testified. He's talking about Psalms 8, because that's what he quotes. Saying, what is man? So this is a verse, Hebrews 2, um, 2.6, I think it continues on. If you can go, I didn't tell you that one, but it goes to But somewhere someone has testified, saying, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of man that you care for him? Keep on. For a little while you made him lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor. You put all things in subjection underneath his feet. For when he put all things in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. But for now, we do not see, yet see all things subjected to him. So, Hashem does not reign, or excuse me, Yeshua does not reign today. Not in this world. We have so much darkness. We, right, there's so much that doesn't, who isn't following the Mashiach. There's so much. Listen, death has not been defeated. Yes, Yeshua rose. But death is not defeated. We still have people dying out there. Death is not defeated, people. There's a whole lot to still go through. There's still a lot to hold to happen. We have Hasatan, cursed be his name, the angel of death, the Yetzirah, whatever you want to call it, it doesn't matter. It's still out there. Now listen, Yeshua spoke about this. It's not like he just came up with this. Whoever this he is, we don't know the author of Hebrews. Yeshua spoke about this. Luke 19. If you can go to Luke 19, 11. Luke 19, 11. There he is. As they were listening to this, Yeshua went on to tell a parable. Now listen, he's eating with Zacchaeus. He's eating with Zacchaeus. And he says, as they were listening to this, Yeshua went on to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem and they supposed that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once. Keep on going. Therefore, he said, a certain nobleman went to a faraway land to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. And calling 10 of his own slaves, he gave them 10 minus and said to them, do business until I come back. All right, skip to, let's skip down to 17, 27. All right, actually 26, let's go to 26. I tell you, to everyone who has more should be given, but from the one who doesn't have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Next one. But those hostile to me who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them here and execute them before me. All right. So this parable is, is explaining what is going on today right now. Yeshua, okay, Yeshua has gone away. He's the nobleman. He has gone away to receive the kingship. Okay. He's been named king. That's already been declared. It's already been declared. He is king. But has not come back to his kingdom yet. He's not reigning in this world. Remember, Hebrews, all that is all about the Alam Haba. It's about the Alam Haba. It's not here today. Yeshua will reign. He is king. And he will come back for his people. But today... Today, we're not there. Today, you still have a choice of who you're following. And people do, unfortunately. Listen, you can choose to try and join forces with whoever else, or you can join forces with Yeshua and therefore be on Hashem's team, right? Listen, we know what's going to happen, right? We know that... Magog and Gog, what's going to happen, right? There are going to be people who align against Hashem. It's not going to be good for them. So, today, live your life as if we're living in the Halam Baba and Hashem, Yeshua, is reigning. Not following the people of the darkness. Remember, be that light. Be that light that rises up. Be that little light in the darkness. Because remember, a little light, just a little light can really light up a room, right? A little light. So in conclusion, man, time flies up here. In conclusion, 
Speaking about Hebrews 2, 12 through 18, the Mashiach, the seed of David, is higher than any angel. It's higher than the patriarchs. It's higher than Moshe. Because even though he's made a human being, lower than angels in this world, through his suffering, and that's a whole other deal, right? Through his suffering, something has to die before it rises again. <clears throat> he's seated at the right hand of God, the eternal throne. There's only one throne. That You missed part of that, but there's one throne, which is promised to the seed of David. He will sit on that throne and endure forever. All things will be subjected to him. All things. He will put his feet as a footstool on all things. That means he will have dominion over everything. He will build a house for God, for Israel, and for his brothers and sisters. He will grant them a world to come. Remember, who are his brothers and sisters? Luke 8, 21. My brother, my mother and my brothers are those who are hearing the word of God and doing it. And doing it. Last statement. Hebrews 2, 1 through 3a, if you want to put that up. For this reason, it is necessary for us to pay especially close attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. For if the word spoken through the angels proved to be firm, another word for that would be unalterable, and every violation and disobedience received a just payback, a penalty, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? What is the message? Repent. Follow Torah. That's an example of kal vachomer, light and heavy, right? If, one, if, if A, which is the Torah is unalterable, can't be true, if it's not true, then B can't be, and that means Yeshua is not the Messiah. Okay? That's what he's saying here for us. Listen, and one, one very last statement, very last statement is this. Uh, you know, Ahmet and I did a little little thing. His, his, so let me plug that in if you haven't listened to it. I, I, was, I was there. Uh, we were speaking. I wasn't there with him. We were actually, I was at my house. He was at his house, and we did it all. Thank you, technology. But one of the things is this. And I said something to you, a couple of people last Shabbat, but it's claimed within Judaism that there's no belief in, you, there's no, you don't have to believe in the Messiah for salvation in the Torah. There's nothing there. It didn't exist. But I will say this to that. In Devarim, Deuteronomy 18.5, we are told that another one will come and that one must heed him. So I ask you, if you don't heed who he's speaking about, what's going to happen to you? You'll be cut off. So if the Mashiach comes, if the Mashiach comes and you don't heed this person, what is going to be your end? So while the Torah may not explicitly say you don't have to believe in the Mashiach, he does say you have to listen and heed to him. And I can tell you, based on Hebrews 3, the end of chapter 3, in the verse 4, listen, if you don't obey, it's as if you don't believe. Wow. You don't have faith. Okay? B'shem Yeshua. As Rabbi says, what do we know? What do we know? All right. Baruch Hashem. All right. Thank you, thank you. It's all Hashem.